Hey guys, what's up? It is week 164 and we're going to finish up the uh, 2002 Summer Series this episode. Um, also have a couple Run Through 91 for you and some Patreon reviews and a couple new release reviews. Uh, I basically want to let you guys know that um, the Horror Musicals episode is up on the 22 Shots that I guessed it on and the Crazies episode is also on Original vs. Uh, remake. So if you are interested in hearing me talk about those movies, head over to the 22 Shots uh, website or Horphilia and check them out. Let's hop into the first review from Severin Films, and this is Satan's Slave. Now, they say this was made in 1980. I don't think, some people say it's 83, but this is an Indonesian horror film. They remade it in 2017, 2018, and it kind of debuted on Shudder for us. And uh, honestly, that was one of my favorite movies of the year. I thought it was perfect, scary, creepy. Um, there's something about a lot of the new kind of uh, foreign horror films that I feel capture a spirit of the 70s and 80s that the American horror films did too that we just can't capture as well as they can a lot of thick rich mythology and actual genuine scares now um the original satan slave it's not um up to i don't want to say it's up to stuff it's just obviously from a different time and uh they do share some similarities um um, I don't feel like the grief is as uh, deep in the original Satan's uh, Slave. Maybe a little less melodramatic, if that makes any sense. But, um, okay, so we have a family... Um uh, they're, they, 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 most of the people around practice, um, Islam, they're, they're Muslims, but, uh, this family's not a very religious family. They're kind of like a little bit less religious than a lot of the people around. So, uh, essentially it opens up with a funeral and a lot of people are praying and everything like that. And it's a father who seems to be well off left with his two kids. There's a caretaker around and, um, Right the first night, the mother comes back from the grave and kind of like um, lures the son outside and kind of almost kind of semi possesses him. But after that, it almost like uh, loses a little steam. Like, I, I don't want not steam, but it changes gears, I'll say. About it loses steam with that storyline. Uh, although you have to think that the son was somewhat kind of warped or turned at that point to a certain extent, basically, maybe his soul. But after that, um, there, there's lots of weird things that, that go on in here. Uh, basically, the boy visits um, kind of a, a fortune teller, and she, she warns him about all sorts of awful things. And then the father hires a, care, uh, a housekeeper, and it is that fortune teller. And that's when shit starts to hit the fan, and we realize that she is some sort of a, a witch, um, and that starts screwing with the family. Family friends die, people, people get killed. And what I really liked about this movie was actually the father. Um, he's going through a horrible time. His wife died. People around him are dying. And his kids are doing all this kind of uh, superstitious stuff that he doesn't believe in. He do He's scared to admit that he believes in it because he his whole family's not been very religious. And the kids are kind of practicing in it, trying to stop all this crazy stuff from happening. But um, the father, although he seems stern, he keeps his cool so much. Because I, I'm, I'm, if I'm in this situation, I'm yelling at my kids. I'm losing my temper every second. And honestly, um, when you think a lot of... Um, in films and, and the stereotype to a lot of Americans is that like the Muslim religion, they're very stern and they, and stuff like that towards their kids. And, and then those kind of third world countries, and I don't want to say Indonesia is a third world country necessarily, you know what I mean? But, uh, in so many of these movies, you have the mean father and he's just yelling and screaming and almost every movie, even Americanized stuff. But this time the father had like a, a difference about him. Like I felt like, um, he was a three dimensional 
character. But uh, essentially, they're preyed upon because they don't really have much religion in them. So, so it is a religious horror film. It's not as uh, the special effects aren't up as as good as the new one or anything like that. They're definitely a product of their time and their budget. But uh, I, I like what they do. Um, they still have the motorcycle kind of dirt bike accident, and um, it, it's kind of a creepy zombie movie at the same way because the victims of the um, the figures come back almost as slaves, Satan slaves, you know, like some sort of demon controlling them, and they they look excellent. They have like the pale eyes and everything, and they they definitely attack the family that they know and they, they use that against them anyways i think this one's really solid it's got good atmosphere it's a really cool movie um i do like the remake a little bit better just because probably i think the budget constraints is probably what held it back and i saw it first i think that that also plays into it but uh, i was impressed with this one i thought it was really cool really enjoyable um the special features include an interview with the producer, um, interview with the screenwriter, and an interview with the remake director. And he talks about how he, he was always infatuated with this movie and begged and begged and begged to do the remake. And they wouldn't let him because he had never done a horror movie. He ended up making a horror short and doing a horror commercial just to get the gig. So, um, yeah, it, it's got some nice insight on that. So, anyways, Severin cleaned this up. It looks great. Um, it sounds great. And it's never been released on Blu-ray or DVD or VHS or anything in the United States as far as I know. So, uh, if you're interested in checking it out, and you should be, it's uh, Satan Slaves. Yang sangat cocok itu Ruth Pelopesi. Sangat cocok. Wajahnya itu menakutkan memang. Even after 30 years, still the pictures are doing good. So I made a horror films, very short, one-minute horror film. And I said, this is the example that I could do with Satan Slaves. Okay, we have one from 1960 here, The Horrors of Spider Island. Now, I believe this was a German film, and it was always hard to see, to be honest. Um, I had really just heard the name in passing only, and uh, it was censored for years. Um, and this is both versions on here. We get the uncut version with all the nudity and everything. And for 1960, it's pretty spicy. And the um, the censored American version. So, okay, this movie starts off, it's, it's a black and white flick, and I was into it right away. It, it starts with these girls uh, auditioning for a dance to go to, is it Singapore? And they take this troop of like uh, eight girls and uh, there's the, the guy who's setting the whole thing up and his helper. So they all go there on a plane and they end up, the plane crashes, they end up on a lifeboat and they wash ashore this island. 
this spider island. And um, right away, I was like, this is going to be excellent because we have all these like, kind of quirky characters. And it's like, it's so chauvinistic, like from the time, of course, the man's like, all right, girls, you've had enough of this, no drinking water. He's like and taking charge and command. And it's just a product of its time. So essentially what happens is there's these giant spiders on the island. And I was like, oh, is this going to be a, a them versus the giant spiders thing? I'm in love with that idea. But uh, quickly it changes when one of the guy, the, the male is bit by the spider and he kills it, but he turns into some sort of radioactive Spider-Man, if you will. And uh, he starts to turn into like a Wolfman spider thing. And uh, he starts to stalk the girls a little bit. And uh, I'll think, okay, this is going to be fun too. But then after that's the first like 30 minutes or so. And then after that, these a uh, couple of these guys come looking for a professor who is on the island studying everything, the archaeologist or something like that. And uh, which is a hilarious scene where they find him in a web. Um, it's just it's shellacky fun and um, these two guys end up uh, getting on shore and although there's a horrible danger they know that they could die any minute they decide to start partying with these two guys and they're all happy because they're going to be rescued and the next 30 to 40 minutes literally turns into like love drama stuff and and really just dance numbers of girls stripping nude which for the time i'm sure was amazing people were like oh this is not like nothing i've seen before it's really risque and now i see that kind of stuff all the time and i don't get to see like the giant spider movies that are actual practical effects or like a spider-man running around killing people so although for the time i'm sure people welcomed it because it was so transgressive or so push in the envelope i really just wanted the spider movie because i don't see that at all made anymore and i know this is from 1960 i know i know but i was looking forward more to a creature feature than a nudie cutie kind of deal or something like that but that's what it kind of turns into all the girls are stripping nude and dancing and fighting and their clothes are falling off and some melodramatic nonsense happens and and, uh, of course, they have to face off against the Spider-Man. Um, they cleaned it up pretty well. It looks good. Sounds good, like always. Um, there's an interview with kind of a historian that does the history of Spider Island on here. And he talks about some of the, the players in here. In particular, the, the lead guy and uh, the, what he used to do when he was dubbed and had his own dialogue and all that kind of stuff. But um, I really wanted to enjoy this one. In the first half, I, I could really give a hearty recommend. But the second half just is something that I wasn't on board for. I see, you know, uh, I see that a lot. Although it is very interesting. And it, you got to see it because it's such a product of its time and when it came out you'd be like oh that's kind of it's very ballsy for the time but it just doesn't really pack the punch that um, I'd wanted it to love how the spiders look too although they show I think a couple of them after the first one's dead they just don't even bring them up maybe there's only one I don't know but I love the little spider puppet he's awesome and the guy when he's a spider kind of guy he's fun too so yeah it's definitely um, that kind of uh, 60s horror film but um, it feels like that but it's got all that nudity in there too so Horrors of Spider Island. Eight beautiful girls and one lone man struggling for survival. With death, sudden, violent, and horrible lurking in the shadows. Horrors of Spider Island. Out of the night came a fate worse than death. A man's mind twisted, his brain poisoned, with an uncontrollable lust to kill. Horrors 
of Spider Island. A tale of terror that will leave you limp. So hideous and shocking, you won't believe your eyes. His hunger for victims was never satisfied. Prepare to be frightened out of your wits by the horrors of Spider Island. Okay, um, I'll be kind of brief with this one because I've already covered it before, but this is Lucky McKee's uh, The Woman. Um, this is the Arrow release, so it's been upgraded, it's been uh, you know cleaned up, and it's a 4K restoration. And uh, like I said, I, I have always enjoyed this movie. When I first saw it, I actually first saw it like uh, probably like last year or something. I don't know what why I skipped it. I had seen The offs Offspring and everything like that. But anyways, Lucky McKee's The Woman is a 2011 feature starring uh, Pollyanna McIntosh, um, Lauren Ashley Carter, Jeez. Um, Angela Bettis for May, and geez, I can't think of the father's name, but he's tremendous in this movie. Um, anyways, what this is, it, it shows this kind of this family. And right off the bat, this is basically about um, toxic masculinity to its T and, you know, that whole fake kind of bullshit um, looking good on the outside, but really on the inside, you're a horrible piece of crap. So essentially what we have is this kind of... Uh, this father, he's like a, um, somebody of the court. I can't think. He's a person. He, he's he's kind of has a respectable job. He has uh, two daughters and a son and his wife. And his wife is Angela Betta. She's really meek. And one day while he's hunting, he he spots this um, this the woman from the Offspring, the the movie that was made before this, and the Jack Ketchum books. It's a Jack Ketchum based off Jack Ketchum novel. He spots the uh, wild woman in the the woods and. He has a scope on her and everything, and he's infatuated. He's watching her clean herself and. Um, it's definitely perverse. It's definitely voyeuristic. He takes her home, chains her, makes his family partake in it. And, and you wonder what the hell is going on that the family is so beaten down and so trained because he's got him trained and that's what he wants to do with the woman to is train her to um, train to, to do this and not say anything. So essentially that's, that's what he does. And he, his plan obviously is to, you know, kind of, I feel like use her as a sex slave, kind of get her, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Basically, bring her back to society, but use her, you know, keep her chained up as, as a slave. He has dogs and stuff. You could tell that they've been kind of beaten down, but there's definitely this dark family secret. The movie is kind of about a lot of dark secrets, too, because Lauren Ashley Carter's got something going on that she doesn't want to tell her family about for, for good reason. But um, the psychology in this one is excellent, like um, how the father, how the son learns from the father, and the son just creeps me out. In the very beginning of the movie, he sees um, this girl, being kind of like picked on and he watches from a distance and you know most people will be like hey leave her alone or something like that but no he, he seems to enjoy it like he's a sadist like he's actually getting off on the um the horrible accident you know the the girl being picked on and that plays in with the woman um for sure and then that plays in with a really gross voyeuristic peeping scene it's just messed up on all sorts of levels and and just ugh, very unpleasant uh, monkey see monkey do i guess but uh, 
Yeah, I really kind of uh, thought that also kind of pertained to Jack Ketchum's book, uh, The Girl Next Door, which is a true story. But in the book, you kind of get into the head of the uh, the character writing it and how he mentions all these things about, you know, he, he wanted to help her. But at the same time, he wanted to was sexually curious about it, although he wasn't a sadist. He, he might have had that dark touch to him. Well, this character, um, the young boy, is 100 percent dark touch. Um, Angela Bettis is great in this. Um Lauren Ashley Carter is also just looks so sad. She's so good in this as well. Uh, Pollyanna is just an Amazon. She's powerful and beautiful and just intimidating. And I love her in this great performance. Um, and the father, it just uh, he's like a Rhodes character. I love to hate him. The stuff he says, his line delivery, he's such a trashy asshole. And um, just there's a scene where Angela Bettis, you know, she she interrupts. It. She's like, do you think that? And just one second of just um, kind of like not going with what he says boom he just slaps her across the face and and he gets in bed like he didn't do anything it's just that kind of miserable existence for her but i don't know that i think this is a great movie um the ending has like kind of a twist that's really insane and uh, it gets really violent at the end i love the soundtrack last time I, I called it like folky and that's not really the right kind of i guess it would be like new wave alternative rock music or something for the time i'm not necessarily sure how to explain what the kind of music is but i really like it um the special features on here include like four commentaries tons of commentaries and I'm going to be honest, sometimes I want to watch all the features for you guys. I really do, but I just can never find the time to do it. So I, I can't squeeze in all the features or I would only be watching like two movies a week. So I, I, I pick and choose some of the features. I did not listen to any of the commentaries, unfortunately, but there is like an hour and like it's a feature length version of like his uh, Lucky McKee's dad was on the set while they're making it. He was filming every day. So there's a bunch of behind the scenes footage as well. And uh, there's an interview with Lauren Ashley Carter on here, a brand new one. So um, by the way, I love her. She's always great. But um, anyways, I think this is a, a probably Jack Ketchum's best. This and The Lost, I think, are both um, great movies. I love both of those two. Um, and uh, the other ones, you know, I could take or leave, to be honest. But as far as film adaptations are concerned, I actually not read the woman book. But anyways, um, a great movie, great release. Looks really good, too. I'm glad this is getting some love. Maybe May can get some love, too. Uh, May definitely needs a Blu-ray release. But, uh, yeah, that is The Woman from Arrow Video. Looks great. Sounds great. And, uh, you know, just a great cast. And, and although people know it and people like it and talk about it, I think it is a little underappreciated, maybe a little underrated. I know people, but I just don't hear people bring it up very often. You're a lifesaver. You know that, Bill? Our things at school, kiddo. What kind of cookie do you want? I want a little man. It's kind of nice when it's quiet like this. Have you fed the dogs yet? Okay, everybody. Who wants to go down to the cellar with me? What's Dad doing? You'll see. This is our project. And it's a secret. God only knows where she's been living. What are we gonna do with her? We're gonna help her. Civilize her. Free her from her baser instincts. What? So I need to make sure that you understand 
Just who is in charge here? Ground rules. No touching. I learned the hard way that our friend here likes to bite. I've observed some distressing behavior. Have you lost your mind? She is a human being. This woman thinks that she is an animal that isn't right. Do you know what would happen to all of us if you got caught? I can't! Not civilized behavior. Are you sure you're not overextending? Have you ever known me to let things get out of hand? Okay, the next one is a Patreon pick from Chris Rivers, I think, and it is Swallow. And uh, this is an IFC, I think. I've rented this on Amazon Prime. And I had heard some mixed things about this. A lot of people, you know, were like, it's not really horror, but it's horror adjacent. So I, w I was interested. In, I was going to watch this one eventually, but I just didn't know when I'd get to it. So uh, first and foremost, I want to say that the lead in this movie is very unique, very, very good performance. In fact, the acting all around is really solid. Um, this movie is, a, again, one that makes a lot of statements on society. And I think that um, I'm not a woman, obviously, but or I don't identify as a woman or anything like that, but. Um, this movie, I think would be more appropriate, you know, I think that a woman would connect more with it, but I, I felt that it was a really great movie and I, I really enjoyed it, to be honest. I thought it was pretty damn excellent to be honest. And I know a lot of people are like, I, I didn't, I think it's a, a hater love it. And I'm more on the love side for sure. So we have this woman, she is kind of comes from. I don't want to say lower class or definitely like a middle class, probably background and very normal average life is what we get the gist of it. And she's married into a rich family. She doesn't work. She's kind of stays home and, and cleans and does everything perfectly. And she has this kind of beautiful house that she lives in that her um, husband's uh, parents bought for her and she becomes pregnant and uh, she basically doesn't have much to do and she feels very unneeded and unwanted and just... You know, is this all there is to life? There's no purpose, nothing. And she starts to develop this uh, pica. She gets pica, which is a really kind of strange disorder where you want to eat strange things. And I, I think this actually has happened with women who are pregnant. I think it can occur. And I know it does happen with uh, other animals as well. Some people would say like Rottweilers or other dogs. Dogs I've heard had pica. But people can get it too, from my understanding. So essentially she starts to eat these small things like uh, a marble, a tack. And there's a lot of uh, suspense with some of the objects she eats. And she starts to keep them all in this like secret kind of cabinet and everything like that and uh everything she she definitely has a sense of control if you if you watch her throughout the movie she's always constantly cleaning everything must be in perfect order so essentially um her family finds out and they get very upset with her and this starts this kind of big fight where she can't stop and she doesn't seem like she wants to stop she starts seeing a psychiatrist and and you get some more unveilings about her family and about her past and everything like that and, and there's like some some meetings in here and there's this one scene where her she she tells something and then uh she she kind of talks to that character later on and there's this one-on-one -on -one scene this whole scene at a birthday party is some of the best acting i've seen in the year of the year and the scene is just really kind of uh, intense and, and emotional and uh i loved it i thought it was a great scene and i thought it was um, a good statement and um although the character is awful there is some gray within him and i think that that was something that uh was kind of unique to see in a movie. 
when when everybody's painted so white and black all the time i thought that it was uh nice to see that she gave somebody a little bit of uh slack even though they probably didn't deserve it i don't think they deserved it you know but still at the same time it just was a amazing scene and something that uh, just took good writing to get there and they set it up but uh th this has some disturbing stuff in here it will be disturbing for a lot of people um think a measure of sin kind of ending type deal but uh, it involves a food court and just the idea that it takes place in a food court is so weird to me. But uh, I, I like this. Like I said, good performances, beautiful house. Uh, it's shot really well. Cinematography and the set design, all that stuff's great. Um, and it's a, it's a good it's it's a good character study. Again, like this and Horse Girl would probably go well together. I think this one's a little bit better actually. I think Swallow, you know, I know it's not necessarily horror movies, but it's probably sitting in my top ten horror movies of the year so far because it's been kind of not I want to say lackluster, but a slow year, of course. I know a lot of people out there are diving in everything, but I just haven't had the chance. So maybe I'm a little um, out of my element saying it's a lackluster year, but it sure feels like it to me. Um, but I really would recommend this one. Great performances. Um, Good story too, and, and just how the how at first like the rich family seems like nice, but almost condescending and controlling, and then as they kind of reveal themselves as it goes on and and stuff like that, and just to be in that situation is just uh, awful. Uh, actually, um, just how she's ignored all the time and that kind of stuff. But uh, swallow, good stuff. <laughs> Do I make you happy? I'm the happiest man in the whole world. I feel so lucky. You're not mad at me? Mom, we're pregnant. About what? I just want to make sure I'm not doing anything wrong. You couldn't do anything wrong, even if you tried. So what did you do for money before you met my son? Retail, mostly. A lucky break. I'm just real grateful. Fake it till you make it. Are you happy? Or are you pretending? it make you feel when you swallow something? I just like the textures in my mouth. Textures in my mouth. It made me feel in control. In control. Uh, I'm right here. to make you happy.
Okay, the next Patreon pick is from Richard Riley, and he picked Mondo Weirdo. This one's a Cult Epics uh, title, and uh, I had never seen this. I had it sitting on the shelf, and uh, I figured it was going to be pretty crazy because Cult Epics really doesn't pull any punches with the stuff they put out. Um, and this is a movie, I think it was made in 1990. I, w I was not really familiar, so I, so I put this in. It, it's fairly short. It's black and white. It's experimental. It's definitely transgressive. It is a wild, weird movie. So I'm going to, I guess I'll grasp what I can talk about the movie. So this girl, she's at this concert and she witnesses these two um, girls kind of um, making out and doing all these sexual things uh, while they're watching a concert and something triggers in her, maybe her, um, her closetness. And uh, she starts to have these weird flashes. It kind of puts her in a turmoil and this weird kind of surrealistic, almost nightmarish, but jarring and uncertain what the hell was real and fake kind of fantasy world spiral where she's she's kind of going about um and she partakes in sexual acts and murder and all sorts of crazy things and she starts to think that she might be elizabeth bathory um you know the countess countess um dracula from the hammer movie but she starts to think that she's elizabeth bathory but the movie just doesn't really pull any punches when it comes to sexual acts there is um a real fellatio as far as i can tell um, female on male, male on female, and uh, male on male is everything in here. There is um, there's a homosexual sex scene that's pretty graphic. Now I think that one was simulated, but there is some real sex scenes between men and women, and and women and women. So um, there's just lots of well, the the fellatio between the man and man is not simulated. So there's lots of uh, sexual acts going on. It's super super pushing the buttons, especially. I thought it was older than 1990, but it definitely, like I said, there's some cool shots in here, some experimental shots some good shots it's just so hard to keep going on and talking about this one it also feels like it has a big thick punk atmosphere with some of the people on stage and maybe just the way they're dressed and everything but uh it was interesting no doubt about that i just don't have that much to say about it the special effects are not really great you know it's just blood and stuff like that but um there is of course castration you can't have a crazy movie without castration um but uh it's very sexually explicit is definitely what i would say um and like, uh, there is also another feature on here, uh, Vampiro uh, something. I, I didn't get a chance to watch that one. Vampiro Sexos. But uh, Mondo Weirdo, it, it's it, it's batshit, to be honest. Um, and, and at the end, kind of comes together in a, kind of a weird way. But um, uh, I don't know if I could recommend this for everybody, but it's definitely one if you're into cult cinema or crazy cinema, you probably should watch. So, yeah. <laughs> Here and now, 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 here and now
Okay, this next one is a Patreon pick from Travis Wright, and he picks State Line Motel, and this is an Italian feature. It stars uh, Ursula Andres from, you know, Slave of the Cannibal God, uh, Eli Wallach from The Good, The Bad, and Ugly and Magnificent Seven, and Fabio Testi from What Have You Done to So Lunch, and about a hundred other movies, The Big Racket, you guys know him. So, uh, yeah, I think he's for an apocalypse, too. But anyways, this is kind of like, a, I guess it would be considered almost a neo-noir kind of a crime uh, Italian thing. So, Eli Wallach and Fabio Testi. Fabio Testi gets released from jail. He's in, this is, takes place in Canada, and he has to, a couple days to get over the border and get back back to the United States. So uh, he meets up with Eli Wallach almost immediately, and they decide to take care, uh, to do a jewel robbery. Somebody gets shot um, pretty much uh, critically or very 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 bad very badly. Not one of these two, but an innocent bystander, and um, they have to kind of take the jewels and separate. So Fabio Testi is supposed to stop, drive up to a certain place, meet Eli Wallach, and then they're gonna split the jewels in and get out of there. Um, unfortunately, Fabio Testi's car uh, gets a flat tire. It gets messed up. He ends up stopping at the state line motel where ursula andres is and she seems to be kind of a weird flaky person that is dating the motel manager who's much older than her but it seems more of like he kind of took her in and took care of her there's a weird mechanic that stays there and some other people that are kind of around housekeeping. Um, and there's always this kind of dumb-witted cop that hangs around with one of the girls that's dating her. So there's that suspense right there. So essentially, right off the bat, within 24 hours, Ursula Andrus is madly in love with Fabio Testi. Um, so yeah, uh, basically he's trying to hide the jewels so no one can get them. And uh, some of the people there suspect that he might be one of the robbers. So that's pretty much the plot. It's 
fairly straightforward and goes fairly quick. Of course, Eli Walt comes looking for his jewels, and that's when matters get complicated and tragedy strikes. Um, it's, it's kind of ridiculous when you think about it. It's like Ursula Andress is literally head over heels in love with him within like 24 hours, but you realize she also is a crazy person at one point in this movie or has some sort of uh, something deeply wrong with her. Um, the mechanic is an asshole, and they play with the car a little bit here and there. But uh, Eli Wallach's pretty solid in it. Plays definitely a grumpy, mean kind of uh, old school criminal that is definitely dangerous. And uh, you know, it, it's it's solid, it's decent, and it's got a downbeat kind of ending that I enjoyed. And there's a twist, of course, in these movies. I, I watched a print that's not particularly great, but um, it, it was decent. It passed. Um, there is a nice car chase within the beginning of the movie with cops chasing him and everything like that. So, but uh, I would give this one a slight recommend. Pretty decent. Um, the soundtrack doesn't really stand out uh, that that much to me. But it is kind of weird that it's a rarity that it takes place in Canada and it's an Italian movie. But um, I thought this film was fairly well done and fairly well acted. No real complaints here. You know, uh, I, I wish there could have been a little bit more action, but it's definitely more of a crime thriller than that and drama deal. So. Okay, the next Patreon pick is from Matt Brown, and he picked The Harder They Come. And uh, I had never seen this one. I watched it on Fandor, and it was uh, this is a Jamaican movie. And so this is kind of like a Jamaican rise to, uh, you know, uh, power kind of almost in the vein of Scarface kind of movie. But except um, this character, Jimmy, or whatever his name is. Uh, I forgot his name. They say it a hundred times in the movie, too. Um, is more likable than uh, Tony Montana. So... We have this kind of this young guy. He's from the country, and at the beginning of the movie, he drives up to the city to let his mom know that their grandma died, the house sold. There's not much money, and he decides he wants to stay around the city. He thinks he can sing and um, you know make a living there. His mom hooks him up with a preacher. He starts to work for the preacher. He can't find work anywhere else. the The music guy who controls the place. Um, basically lets him know that he, he's kind of rules an iron fist. He, he doesn't want to pay him much for his musical stuff uh, at all, 20 bucks, and he thinks the song's much better than that. The song plays throughout the entire movie, and it kind of is the theme of the music, the harder they come. Basically, I'm going to get mine. People are trying to hold me back, yada, 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 you know. And his living conditions and the situations he's in is so horrible, you definitely kind of side with him, and you, 
you cheer him on even when he's doing horrible things at times um sometimes but then by the end he definitely crosses the line here so he ends up selling marijuana after being screwed over by pretty much everybody now although with this guy he does kind of um date this this girl and he starts to ruin her too and he lets all these things kind of get to his head he's definitely he's very very um egomaniacal and he just delusional but his delusions of grandeur kind of lead him on this path of fame which although it's infamy not fame i guess i'll say so um he, he becomes this criminal after a while and uh he becomes a cop killer and it turns into like this action crime movie in the in the last act which kind of came out of nowhere for me i didn't really know where it was going but um th there's this really great moment where this guy ends up kind of stealing his bike and i was infuriated when the guy took the bike or what the guy said to him and i was actually cheering him on to beat the shit out of the guy and, and that that seems really really entertaining uh, it's just a kind of a crazy movie where you really i, I don't know much about jamaica i believe it's jamaica right so see, seeing all this was kind of, uh, you know, it opened my eyes a bit and it was interesting as hell and intriguing to see everything like that and, you know, the corrupt system and everything. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a good movie. It's a good crime movie. It's, it's pretty crazy and, and really unique too. And the lead performance is really good. Um, and, uh, the song, the music in here, there's a couple songs they always play. They get stuck in your head. They're both really good. And, uh, they play kind of throughout the entire movie as themes of what's happening and stuff like that. But that's the harder they come. Good stuff, uh, for sure. One, two, one, two, three, four. I'm looking for work. I can't do anything in Oba. Anything. You can't stay here, you know, because I can't help you. I could make a record. I can sing in Oba. You want me to go and beg work for $10 a week for the rest of my life? I'd rather die. Sitting here in limbo. This is my big chance. Nothing can stop me now, you know. Yeah, sign here. I'm remember. I control this business. Sitting here in limbo. What's the meaning of this, huh? That means you get twenty dollars for the record. Twenty dollars, sir? That don't sound right. Did not tell you I was going to be famous one day. Send this one to the editor. Make sure you get it. But you can't expect me not to publish a picture like this.
Okay, the next one here is another Patreon pick, and this is from Jonathan Wilhelm, and he picked Raw Courage with uh, Jesus' uh, Art Hindle, Ronnie Cox, and uh, M.M. Walsh in here. So, yeah, Ronnie Cox actually wrote this one. And there's an interview with him on the disc, the only um, extra on here, and uh, I like seeing that. But, anyways, this is a kind of a movie that I never heard anyone talk about. It's 1984. Uh, Ronnie Cox, Art Hindle. Art Hindle's in The Offspring and uh, The Brood, if you guys will know. So, um, basically, and this young kid who played by Tom Mailer, they are distance runners. And one day they decide that they need to run this uh, 70 miles overnight and they'll run through this big kind of parade where their family will be waiting for them. It'll be a big celebration. Art Hindle is, um, you know, the middle-aged kind of guy. Tom Miller's a young kid and Ronnie Cox is the old man. And Ronnie Cox's character's got a, it's got a, you know, probably the most character in him. Well, him and Tom Mailer both have a lot of character because Tom Mailer's like the young kid whose dad's always kind of telling him what to do and you're not a man yet uh, and kind of treats him like a 10-year-old kid. But uh, he's out to prove something. While Ronnie Cox is also out to prove something that he just dislikes himself for being a coward. He thinks he's a coward, you know, and he needs some raw courage. So anyways, they're out on this run, uh, this kind of long run, and they end up being kind of captured by these survivalists. And at first it's kind of a joke. And uh, M. Emmett Walsh is their, their commander. And uh, his son is actually played by the uh, dad. I, he was in a, a, He's in um, The Border, and he's the father in American History X. But I can't remember the TV show he was in where he played somebody's like sitcom dad. But he plays the son. And these survivalists, um, you know, at first they're like, oh, they're kind of like laughing it off. But then they start to treat somebody that um, they're, they're working with, uh, a woman, really poorly. And um, they, they kind of speak up and uh, it kind of le- leads to some turmoil. And they, they basically say, get the hell out of here. And uh, they catch up with them and they start to have some back and forth and something tragic happens. And that starts a war between the runners and the crazy survivalist. Um, so, yeah, these guys are all on RVs and they're, they're tracking them down and everything and they got to survive. So um, Ronnie Cox is really great in this movie. Really liked him. Um, Tom Mailer's really great, too. Every, and M. M. Emmett Walsh is, is also fantastic. He, he's just he's always good, isn't he? He's always top-notch. I don't think I've ever seen him do a, a poor job, to be honest. But when he's always there, you're like, oh, yeah, that's just, <laughs> this is going to be a good performance. So, um, yeah, basically it's a survival movie. It's it's well-made. It keeps your attention the entire movie. I like all the performances in here, and I was rooting on um, the, the heroes of it. It, it. It's enough to make you angry with what some of the characters do. But, of course, they fight back and end up killing some people, too. So, And uh, and they, kill, they, they actually care about what they do their actions and they also care about you know their friends and everything it's so it is based in reality and uh yeah and i do like that ronnie cox every time he runs he kind of runs like he's like the frankenstein monster to me like he's got that shambering like shammering thing there but anyways uh really enjoyable movie um really like it they cleaned it up it looks great sounds great uh give this one a good recommend actually Gentlemen, I'm afraid we might owe you an apology. You see, when you're on a training mission, sometimes you have to improvise. So I've been using you as the enemy. We've been tracking you for the last half hour. Come on, let me buy you a beer. <laughs> Dad's just going to look in their faces. You love her. <laughs> 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 
Yeah, I damn near suffocated. <laughs> damn little lizard crawled right across my face. Got dirt up my nose. I thought I was gonna die. Hey, they weren't the only ones. My heart was going a mile a minute. I mean, I still haven't stopped shaking. Oh, I'm Clay Matthews. And I'm not buried up to my ass in sand. I sell insurance. Hell of a sales pitch you got. <laughs> yeah. Colonel thought you guys might like some beer. Hey, 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 what about hey, our beers? Hey. You guys can get your own. Well, what are you gentlemen doing out here? I thought we had the desert all to ourselves this weekend. I was about to ask you the same question. We're the Citizens Brigade out of Denver. We're out here in a survival exercise. Everybody was allowed to bring only the provisions they could fit into their saddlebags and a knife. Very impressive. You sure scared the hell out of us. Well, this is the first time mission for about half these people. Well, we got them shaping up pretty good. Self-reliance. That's what it's going to come to. Just a matter of time. Self-reliance. You are joking, aren't you? Mark my words, young man. When the crunch comes, and it will come. I mean, just look around the world today. Any moderately intelligent human being can certainly discern that the crunch is coming. And then only those that are prepared. Oh, no. Where the hell have you been, Stephanie? Yeah, we were dependent on you. Yeah, I, I twisted my ankle. Tough oh, shit. You bust down. Hold it. Just wait a minute. Get the steel pot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah let's put her in a pot. Who are the most important people? Members of my platoon. What is the objective of any mission? To protect my people at all costs. What's your pledge to this group? To do or die. What were you supposed to do? Signal as they were starting up the yeah, hill. Yeah, but you didn't, did you? We were suffocating in the sand. Right. It was my ankle. I, I, don't I thought I broke it. Ask. You got to hop all the way back home on one leg. What if that had been a real enemy? Yeah. Our lives are on the line. We could have died. What if they breached the security of the camp? Look at me when I'm talking to you, you little bitch. Yeah, and whatever made you think you could be a soldier? You got a fat ass. Turn around and show us your fat ass. My ankles hurt. It hurts really bad. Oh, what's the matter, Steph? Are you having your period? Are you on your period? I'm not going to answer that. You're on the pot. You answer every question put to you. Answer the question, soldier. You heard the colonel. I heard you slept with a whole football team, didn't you? No, of course not. How many of them did you sleep with? I, I, I went with... Oh, did you go down on them? What are the names? Jesus, this is sick. Did they go down on you? Did you like it? Come on! Describe it to us! I don't hear you. It's too dirty. I can't blame you. Well, I wouldn't either. The stench of you. That makes me want to gag. My ankle hurts. Get back on that pot! I can't! Get back on the pot, soldier! Get up there! Come on! Oh, look, now she's gonna cry. Come on, Stephanie, cry for us. Sorry. You're sorry. I'm sorry. I'm ashamed I even know you. Oh, uh, maybe mommy will come and take you home if you cry. I'm sorry. Please don't. <laughs> mommy. Please. I, I can't. I... I'm sorry. <laughs> Pull yourself together, soldier. You're going to stand in that pot for another ten minutes. And no one's going to talk to you or acknowledge you for the rest of the day. Okay, we're going to hop into the Summer Series 2002 for the uh, podcast uh, Under the Stairs. And the first one that um, that we're going to cover today is 28 Days Later by Danny Boyle. 
And of course, I had seen this one numerous times. I was a big fan of it when it came out in 2002. If you guys don't know, I'm a big fan of zombie and infection films. It's kind of my thing, even though I know they're oversaturated, but I still like them. Sue me. Um, and this one was shot on digital. So I gotta say, I'm, I'm only bringing that up because I'm so sad this was shot on digital. Because um, at the time it looked great, you know, on DVD and everything like that. Um, we we didn't really notice in 2002, but now in 2020, when everything's on Blu-ray, everything's remastered and clean and everything, this looks like shit. This looks awful. I'm sorry. I, I and there's so many movies that were shot on digital at the time. Like Red Sin Tower is an independent movie that was shot on digital, and it's just it, it, like the movie looks like crap. So that stuff, man, that, there's a very small time frame. And thank God it was that small because the digital stuff looks awful. It looks absolutely abysmal. But um, let's get over how it looks. Um, 20 Days Later stars uh, Cillian or is it Killian? I was Cillian Murphy, who I love. You know, he's a great actor. And Brendan Gleeson, among others. And there's some other people in here, too. I can't think of the... Um, the uh, female lead in here, um, both of them actually, and any of the soldiers' names either. So, anyways, uh, yeah, Cillian Murphy. The opening up wakes up is, is kind of like these, um, you know, environmentalists or animal rights activists. Is more like it, not environmentalists. That um, break out this monkey in this experiment. The monkey's uh, infected with rage, and uh, the monkey infects everyone. Cuts to Cillian Murphy waking up naked. Because I remember when he in 2002 when we first saw this, my friends were like shocked because we were watching. They're like, huh. You know, in like Europe, they just show male nudity more than Americans would. So they just show Cillian Murphy nude. And my friend's like, what? They're not used to that. I didn't give a shit. You know, I'm used to watching weird movies by then anyways. And used to that. But so any, anyways, um, he wakes up and he's, he's nobody's around. The whole city um, is gone. And uh, that's when like this music cue kicks in. And it's it's just really like pulse pounding heart beating kind of music really really well done and it, it zooms out and shows you how isolated he is and how desolate everything is and you know and looks great but anyways he ends up kind of wandering around and uh, realizes that something's wrong when he bumps into some infected so a couple survivors actually find him and help him and uh they, they explain what the hell's going on to him and that's that's kind of really them leading on to survival. They bump into some more survivors, and uh, Brandon Gleason and his daughter. And that that's kind of when the movie picks off. And then eventually they um, some some tragedy strikes, and they, they end up running into some soldiers in the second half of the movie. But uh, yeah, uh, MVP of the movie is Brandon Gleason. Uh, he's tremendous in this movie, and he is the heart and soul. Every moment he's on screen, he's endearing. He, he's wonderful, but uh, he's just a tremendous actor. He's always has been. Um, from everything he's in, um, especially Braveheart, of course, right? But uh, love him in this movie and the relationship he has with his daughter, um, like uh, Cillian Murphy and Selena's relationship as well. You know, the the main four people in the movie I think are tremendous, and they they really kind of form this family unit. And uh, they show that later on when Cillian Murphy's sleeping and he wakes up from he's having like a nightmare and he wakes up um brandon gleason wakes him up and says it's all right you're just having a nightmare and he says thanks dad just on instinct not his dad and uh there's a moment it takes that moment where it shows brandon gleason kind of register you know that and uh that's just those little details that you should include in your movie because they they mean a hell of a lot more than people would think because that kind of stuff makes you like the characters more it kind of puts you in the mindset of how they feel about each other so so after and then 
yeah, that's kind of it. But the second half of this movie is most people's complaints because it switches to that military gear. People are like, it just turns to Day of the Dead. Well, I love Day of the Dead, guys. So I don't have as big a problem with that as many as other a lot of other people do. But after a certain thing happens to one of the characters in a movie, you, you do feel like dead inside and you just it and it gets real dark and gloomy and everything like that but this is the first time you know i used to watch this here and there all the time i haven't watched it in a good 10 years at least but where i registered oh my god these soldiers and pissed me off more than ever such idiotic morons but um i do enjoy watching them get their comeuppets um uh yeah the the infected in here, they're fast, they're scary, they got the red eyes, they puke up blood on you to infect you, it's easily passable. And, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed this one. I think it's intense, I think the, it's acted really well. I think it's shot well, although it looks terrible, because uh what it's shot on. Um, and, yeah, I, I give this one a hearty recommend. Love it, to be honest, one of the best of 2002, I would say, you know. But, uh, yeah, uh, 28 Days Later, very influential, and, uh, you know, for the, for the time, definitely a lot of movies ripped this one off or were inspired by it. Today in hospital, I wake up and I'm, I'm hallucinating. I've got some bad news. They're infected. Infected. Father. Infected with nuts. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. The blood. There's something in the blood. You never go anywhere alone unless you've got no choice. Hello? Lesson two, you only travel during daylight unless you've got no choice. This really is a bad idea. You know why? It's obviously a bad idea. We have to leave now. More will be coming. They always do. dead and you're gonna be next okay the next one from 2002 is one hour photo and this was a first time watch for me and now i gotta say this is more of a psychological character study or something like that a stalker kind of movie and it could be kind of considered horror but i really wouldn't call it a horror movie so this stars Robin Williams uh, and R.I.P. Robin Williams uh, is one of those actors, you know, that I never registered how actual good, how good he was, you know. Like, I see him and I'm like, oh, it's Robin Williams. He's good. He's just like the better version of Jim Carrey to me. Like, Jim Carrey annoys me and Robin Williams doesn't. And 
Jim Robin Williams does all the stuff that Jim Carrey can do, but better. So I'm just like, keep it Robin Williams, you know? So uh, essentially, this is kind of a major different role for Robin Williams. He works in a one-hour photo, and uh, he, he loves, he doesn't, maybe he, he's pretty big into his job, but there's this family that comes in, and he's been obsessed with them for years. He uh, makes extra prints of their pictures. He hangs them on his wall. It's a wife, a son. I meant um, a wife, a son, and a father, you know, and he's been following them forever. So he knows more about them for, than anybody. So he, he becomes kind of involved with their family outside of just like developing their pictures. He's very friendly with them. And he starts to kind of like cross that line where he tries to buy the kid presents and, and sees them at baseball practice. And there's just always this line, this tension when you see him because you don't really know what he's going to do. But, um, of course, his world starts to fall apart due to this, and his boss is played by Gary Cole, the same asshole boss in Office Space, and it's kind of perfect. But when Robin Williams kind of cracks in this movie, like uh, it's just a really good performance. He's like almost unrecognizable, just creepy and sad and depressing. Like you feel sorry for him at first. Again, like a good one that would go with May. This and May would probably be a good double feature. Like you feel sorry for him at first, but after a while, you just are really genuinely creeped out by him. But uh, like I said, he, he's just obsessed with this life and delusional as hell too and, and there's this really great kind of uh daydream sequence where you're like oh oh crap oh no and then it kind of it plays on you and switches gears but but anyways um when he actually does snap he he does some pretty crazy things and, and everything like that but the way he messes with people is really unique there's this great line where he says you know what's he talk about the um the shooter with the camera and everything like that snapshots uh, and he basically talks about the original meeting of Snapshot being a hunting term and everything. And he, he, he takes all the pictures and uses them as a weapon. He uses his camera as a weapon. But, uh, yeah, um, anyways, he's a super meticulous kind of guy, too. But, anyways, uh, like I said, this movie's really based on um, how good Robin Williams' performance is. And it's a great performance. It's creepy. There's good tension. And uh, it's kind of told in a good framing story would recommend this one really good stuff actually and i i'm kind of sad i waited this long to finally watch it but uh one hour photo good stuff someone seems sad they don't have any friends it makes me feel bad for them who is that and doesn't have any friends sigh the photo guy at the one hour place we really don't know that much about him you know i mean he might even have a lot of friends he probably has a girlfriend and, and a mommy and a daddy who love him. I don't think he does. I've been doing mini lab work for over 20 years now. I consider it an important job. Hi, Mrs. Yorkin. Can I get that address again? Yes, it's 326. 326 Serrano Terrace. You got their family photos? Sure. Yeah, you mind if I take a look? You're a very lucky man, Mr. Jorgen. You have a wonderful family. And if you don't mind my saying so, a very beautiful house, too. I'm sorry? Dictionary, the word snapshot was originally a hunting term. You have to look like you're having fun. Smile. 
Okay, the next one here is from Don Costarelli, and um, I had already covered this one too. This is Bubba Hotep. This is another one from 2002. So yeah, I'll be brief with it. Um, this movie I could probably watch anytime, anywhere. I remember when my we first saw this one. My dad, my dad brought it up a couple times because he thought it was really funny when uh, uh, Bruce Campbell in here is going on about. I probably said this in the last review, but he's like, um, "You got roaches in this place, man." It's like, how big? How big were the bugs? He's like, oh no, bigger than my fist, bigger than a peanut butter and banana sandwich. I've got to go through my pecker. Just like, just how he does that. It's just really funny. Bruce Campbell is Sebastian Half, and he lives, he's in this old folks' home. He's on his last leg, bad hip, and he was an Elvis impersonator that got injured, and now he thinks he's Elvis. But his story is he actually was Elvis. He traded um, with the impersonator because he was tired of the fame. He was tired of it all, baby. So he, he traded with Elvis, and he is actually, you know, he is Elvis acting like an impersonator who's acting like Elvis. So, But uh, he, he ended up in this old folks' home, and uh, he befriends uh, Ossie Davis, who is um, thinks he's JFK. So, yeah. Anyways, what happens is a lot of the old folks in this home are dying. Um, they're passing away, and it appears to be done by some sort of Bubba Hotep. This uh, this kind of southern, it's a mixture. The way they explain it in the beginning, what a Bubba Hotep is, a Hotep is a relative, you know, of the you know uh, um, um, Egyptian kind of deal, um, and then a Bubba is like a southern guy or something like that. So, anyways, the mummy is awesome in here, and they explain how the mummy got there. He's in these cowboy boots, and he's got the cowboy walk. And uh, the cowboy hat. And in all intents and purposes, this is just a Western. And it's kind of like that whole go out on your own, you know, terms kind of thing. These old guys, one last stand, glory in the West kind of deal. So I love the damn thing, okay? The soundtrack is very Western. It's got the narration by Bruce Campbell, who plays, you know, uh, Sebastian Half or Elvis. But um, it's just about these, it's definitely, you know, all these old people at this old folks home that no one cares about. And these small little victories that they get. But but anyways, it's a, it's a really enjoyable movie. Um, JFK and Elvis Presley working together is just wonderful. If you would have told me that someone <clears throat> made a movie about a mummy killing people at an old folks home and it's up to Elvis Presley and JFK, or maybe they're not Elvis Presley and JFK, to stop the mummy, I would told you that is ridiculous. Like, But honestly, there's only like three directors I could ever think could handle something like that, ever. And that's, you know, number one would be Don Casarelli, obviously, because he did. But you got maybe Peter Jackson and Sam Raimi. It's just so it's just hard juggling thing that only those guys could do because they have some sort of... Uh, craziness about them and just um, funness and just over the topness that uh, somehow they're, they're really energetic directors um like i said i guess i would say they feel young in their movies well maybe peter jackson's old movies but they especially like um you know elric kano used to say on shockwaves that don Casarelli's movies felt young like john dies at the end and i would agree with that this feels like a young man's movie but you get uh, appearances also in here by daniel roebuck he has a really fun gag where him and this other guy are always he's always being sentimental and the other guy's like 
who gives a fuck? <laughs> Just like that. And then you got Reggie Bannister, of course, Don Cosarelli classic or um, staple. And uh, so, some other familiar faces, too. Uh, yeah, I, I like the damn thing. Um, <laughs> it's about a mummy who sucks your soul out of your assholes and everything. But uh, just vastly entertaining. Um, love the nurse, too. She cracks me up. Love her in this one. But really recommended. Uh, great movie. Um, heartfelt, too. Surprisingly kind of heartfelt. And just these moments of those two walking down the aisle with the music playing. And they're, like, on the walker and a cane and stuff. Just, I, I like the damn thing a lot. And I know it's probably not... Um, objectively the best movie of 2002 but it's one that i would choose to watch over a lot of the other ones because it's a very easy watch very entertaining very funny very um just um surprisingly very dramatic for me too so Home. You were an Elvis impersonator. You fell off a stage and broke your hip? Who was it? 20 years ago. That's where they took a piece of my brain. I got a little bag of sand up there now. Jack, President Kennedy was a white man. They dyed me this color. What we have yet, Shady Rest, is an Egyptian soul sucker of some sort. Some kind of Bubba Hotep. You know, a mummy hiding out, feeding on the sleeping. <laughs> He can just keep on feeling unless he's finally destroyed. All right, man, let's go. Stop on you, baby. Here we go. Another one from 2002, the last one, is uh, <laughs> Gaspar Noe's Irreversible. Now, I've covered some of his other movies on here. Um, Enter the Void, Love, Climax, and I have seen Irreversible. This was... Uh, I've seen it a couple times. So, I Stand Alone is the only one I haven't seen. So, Irreversible. Man, this movie is just twisted. Uh, this is the first one I ever saw by him. And I remember just this kind of like jaw on the floor kind of movie. Uh, this is when people say disturbing or crazy cinema. This is definitely one of the first they're thrown out. Like along with people like Cannibal Holocaust, August Under, A Man Behind the Sun, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. And, and you hear Irreversible. And there, there's a good reason for it. Okay, the movie goes starts backwards and, and goes back in time. 
It stars uh, Monica Bellucci, I think her name is, and Vincent Cassell. The other guy in here, I'm not familiar with his name, but um, I'm, he's pretty good in it too. The acting is really, really top notch. Um, so basically, this is a revenge, a rape movie, and a revenge movie, but it goes backwards. And the way he films it, the way it's filmed, with like, I feel like there's even ghosting, like kind of like cloudy scenes and everything. The way the camera work is, it's not as elaborate as he would do in something like Enter the Void or Climax, but it's there where the camera rises and goes crazy places. But and there's constant like re re um, occurrence of sounds like, to make you kind of sick and make you just dis disoriented disoriented and I would say disorientating is the number one word for irreversible so um, it opens up with the character from I Stand Alone basically saying time um, ruins everything or destroys everything time destroys everything and uh, and then we go back from there uh, these uh, and we see a graphic murder scene. A horrible murder scene in this crazy uh, gay club called the Rectum. Um, you know, a gay club called the Rectum just sounds just insane. I don't think <laughs> many people would go in there to be honest. It's a B BDSM club, I believe, or just kind of an extreme club. So, um, anyways, there's this crazy murder scene in there um, that's just insane. And, and the character that does it, um, when you go throughout the movie, you would think that that character would be the complete opposite. Vincent Cassell in this movie is such an oaf, such an animal, such an asshole. And uh, it keeps going back in time. And like I said, the rape in this movie is probably, I'm trying to think, I Spin on Your Grave original or this one? Which one is more, I Spin on Your Grave original is longer and just different, but this one feels really real and really well acted. This is probably the most disturbing rape scene ever filmed. Um, so yeah, but any, but anyways, you know, you notice these things that he, Gaspar Noe always has in his movies. He always has homosexual characters and he always has, um, uh, you know, uh, trans, transvestites. I don't know what the proper term is for that, to be honest, at this point, um, trans characters in his movies, I guess would be that proper term, um, trans characters in his films. Um, there's one in love of course there and there's one irreversible it's just kind of these kind of uh, reoccurring things and he always has like these big party atmospheres i think that he is a frequenter of a lot of clubs and uh party scenes and everything like that so he probably interacts with a lot of people that would be there like a lot of the characters in his movies so um like i said i don't even know this this if anybody has like a problem with rape scenes in movies or gets really disturbed or something like that just don't watch this man because It'll kill your shit. It's just, it's really bothersome. And it's just so well acted. And there's this character in there where when it's happening, the character, there's somebody, it's, it takes place in a viaduct or like a, a underground alleyway type deal. Um, underpass, underpass. And this character kind of walks into the background of the frame. And I guess that was an accident, but it, it works perfectly to explain kind of human nature. When something like that's happening, they don't want anything to do with it. They don't want to get involved because they don't want to put themselves at risk. So that, that part's really disturbing at the same time. But uh, it goes back and you, you find out who these characters are and their relationship and everything like that. And um, I, it's just perfect. It's, it's really well made and it's just well acted and everything. And, and it just it goes back and it makes it more and more tragic. It's just breaking your heart all the damn time. But anyways, uh, I think it's it's kind of a masterpiece for what it is. I know a lot of people would just probably never get past the ugliness of it or the extremity of it or anything like that. But I think it's a great movie. Um, maybe objectively one of the best of 2002 but um there's a lot of horrible things that happen in it but I, I just don't know if you could put it forward for a horror movie 
and to be honest and, and that's kind of what the deal is with the 2002 summer series so i don't know just still a, a great movie if you're into kind of crazy cinema you have to see it but um powerful stuff irreversible Okay, here we go. This was the first time watch for me too. And this is The Mothman Prophecies, starring Richard Gere and Laura Liney. And uh, Will Patton was also in here. So, <laughs> yeah, I'd never seen this. I don't really need, know, I didn't really know the story of The Mothman Prophecies. I know a little bit now. But, okay, Richard Gere is a journalist. He's like the best journalist. So him and his wife, his happily married wife, are about to buy this nice house. I don't think that's going to happen anymore. I think journalists are on their way out, to be honest. Like, just with the, um, all the news going on the internet, it's just like they don't print papers. I just think it's, it's a, the tide's definitely changing on that. So, uh, essentially, um, Richard Gere um, and his wife on the way home from wanting to purchase the house or, or agreeing to buy it, um, they get in a car accident, but she witnesses something completely crazy. Um, kind of some like red uh, dots and everything like that. And Richard Gere really doesn't see it. But anyways, his wife goes to the hospital. They do like a CT scan and realize she's got brain cancer. She ends up passing away. And um, he becomes kind of obsessed with something. Like well, one day he's driving to go for an interview and he ends up kind of losing track of time. And he ends up in this kind of small town completely eight hours away when he only was driving for two hours. So he, he's rather confused. He ends up showing up to this guy's house because his car broke down looking for help. Will Patton answers the door with a shotgun, says, you've been here three or four times already in the last few nights, and uh, holds him at gunpoint. They call the police officer there, Laura Liney, and that's when they start to discover what the hell might be going on. So there's like loops in time, and there's this mothman, Ingrid Cold, who starts to kind of warn them about things uh, that are possibly going to happen, you know, prophecies, um, horrible tragedies that that came that happened. Um, Alan Bates is in here, has a nice little role in here, and... Uh, interaction with Richard Gere but essentially it's basically like a, a two-hour movie of him kind of trying to figure out um, 
what what's going on and try to stop some things like that with hints and everything. And it, it comes together into kind of a disaster movie at the very end. And it's kind of a surprise if you don't know the real story, what's going to happen. I, and I kind of appreciated that. But this movie really feels like one of those like recreations that you watch on TV, like, um, you know, those like kind of poorly cheesy recreations. It feels partially that. Like uh, uh, like uh, unsolved mysteries or something like that, but then it also feels partially like a melodrama, and then it also feels partially like a disaster movie. So it's kind of all these things mixed together, and it, it comes across pretty decent for me. It's not it's not great. Richard Gere is very bland to me. He's not a bad actor. He's not a he's not a horrible actor. He does his job. He's solid. Just very bland. Very very bland. And I, I don't want to be negative because but that's just what it is. He's just there and he's fine. And he's always in the cold, so his nose is always bright red. He just looks like a who from like Whoville, just like the whole movie. Um, Will Patton's really good in it, really solid. But um, the Mothman's kind of creepy. I, I wish I would have saw this when it came out. Maybe I have more appreciation for it. But there's this really ham-fisted moment with Laura Liney in there where she tells this nightmare scene to, she has a nightmare and she like tells Richard Gere it and then it plays into the ending. And if I've ever seen anything so shoehorned or forced into a movie, it's that. Like that was just like, eye roll on that one but um for the most part it's a it's a pretty decent movie and some decent effects for the time um i and there's the creepy pictures of the mothman and everything like that and i bet this is like the only halfway big budget movie or big budget movie that the mothman ever got so um yeah i don't know um i'm sure that a lot of people dig this one it's just okay for me We were just making sure there was adequate closet space. Good. This house is yours if you want it. We'll take it. <laughs> okay. Oh. Just me. You didn't say it, did you? You didn't say it, did you? Didn't say it. See what? She knew. She was drawing angels. Here. Somehow between 1 and 2.30, I traveled 400 miles. I've got no memory. Past few months, people have been coming up to me and reporting strange things. Weird lights, strange phone calls. Hello? Who is this? What do you do when someone comes into your office and tells you they saw this in their backyard? My wife saw something, drew pictures just like this. Who showed you this? You know what that is? One day I started hearing voices. The voices became messages. It was right here. All I could see were these two red eyes. I met him. You met him? He said, do not be afraid. Nine and I will die. Nine and I will die. All 99 are believed dead. You're reading my mind, are you? What's in my hand? Chapstick. This isn't just a message. It's a prediction. Something terrible is going to happen.
Okay, now we're going to do our run through 91. And this one is a, kind of a classic that I watched a bunch of times as a kid. And this is Sometimes They Come Back. Tom McLaughlin did this, who did Friday Part 6 and One Dark Night. Um, I have not watched this movie in like 10, 15 years. I used to love it as a kid. It's a Stephen King story. I'm pretty sure the story is probably in a Night Shift, where all those short stories are. And but there's a, there's a couple. It's either a Night Shift or Skeleton Crew. But uh, anyways, this stars Tim Matheson or Matheson, Brooke Adams. Uh, who else is in here? William Sanderson. I, I think I got some of the big names. And, and I want to say the main guy, the main bad guy in here, is he the guy from freaking? Um, oh, See the guy from Nightmare on Elm Street 2? He sure looks like it, um, the friend. But anyways, um, Tim Matheson, or Matheson, or however you say his name, he's kind of an underrated actor, right? I feel like he, he's always been good. You know, I, I don't ever register like or I seek him out, but every time he's in something, especially this, he's really solid. Brooke Adams, too. She was in um, The Unborn and Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I feel like she kind of just disappeared. Like, when I watched The Unborn from 91, same year, I was like, oh, oh, I remember her. What's she in? And I looked her up, and she was in some things I seen. I was like, what's she? Uh, it's kind of just, like faded out for me. Maybe maybe she's in a bunch of stuff that I just wasn't interested in. But anyways, uh, Tim Matheson, he kind of reminds me of a sweeter version of Jack Torrance from the Shining book. He um, had some trouble in uh, Chicago, had kind of a meltdown. He's a teacher. He moves back to his hometown. It's the only place he can find a job. He has this real bad past in this hometown where some Stephen King, I know they didn't take place in the 50s, but they're 50s style, bullies, Stephen King style. Uh, basically, um, had some killed his brother in this crazy train accident like 27 years ago. So he hasn't been back to the town since. He um, has to go back here for a job. And right when he goes back, he just doesn't feel right. He goes back being a teacher. He's starting to kind of crack under the pressure. And one day one of his students is killed in kind of a weird, crazy way. And he witnesses it. A car run him off the road. No one believes him. No one else saw the car. And uh, a new student takes his dead student's spot. And it looks just like that. One of the main bully from uh, back 27 years ago that killed his brother and almost killed him. So uh, essentially, they start to, kids start to get picked up, off, and then the three main bullies that are responsible have all come back. So sometimes they come back. Um, and uh, he has to basically face his past, face what he did, save his family, and face these bullies down, and you know say goodbye to everything. So it's very um, uh, melodramatic, but it's that kind of deal where you're, you're kind of haunted by the past, and Tim Matheson does that really well. William Sather also has a nice role in here where he's also a character that was there and has a lot of regrets. And um, I, I like his turn in character. I think that was really well done. Brooke Adams is also solid. The special effects are fun when the uh, bullies kind of turn back to monsters to scare people. That looks cool. And they're very hammy. They're chewing the scenery. They're laughing. They're saying all these kind of goofy jokes and just being absolutely ridiculous. Um, they're all like um, Evil Ed times 10. They're just like cackling and laughing and being ridiculous. But um, you know what? It, it's very, it's it shot well. It looks really good. I think this is a TV movie, but I think it's, it, it should have been. I think it's a little bit better looking than a TV movie and better acted and just a decent story. Um, you know, I like this one. I think it's a good movie, although it does, it, it's a little bit cheesier than I remember. You know, this is definitely kind of a good horror movie for a kid, approachable for a kid. Um, cheesy, but good. Um, Stephen King, for sure. Uh, sometimes they come back. No special features, no no closed captions on the disc at all from Olive. But um, I enjoy it, and I would give it a recommend. You know, I like the damn thing, and I have a soft spot for it, but I still think it's good. I haven't seen the sequel. Sometimes they come back for more, or sometimes they come back 
Um, no, sometimes they come back again, and sometimes they come back for more. I haven't seen those in years, but I remember watching both of those as well. But like the original, give it a recommend. Um, enjoyable. From Stephen King, the modern master of terror, creator of Pet Cemetery and Misery, no! comes an all-new excursion to the place where horror comes alive. This used to be a nice little town, but for Jim Norman, it holds a terrifying secret. Now, 27 years later, he's come back with his family, but they won't be alone. Private in person, Mr. Norman. All he wants is a chance for a new beginning. I don't want to dream! You're dead! The things that haunt him are about to begin all over again. Oh, Mr. Norman, can Jimmy come out and play? Starting again, isn't it? Jimmy, what's wrong? If someone seems like they're in trouble, <laughs> they probably are. Why are they after you? I killed Billy, I killed Kate, and now... It seems they're here to finish up some old business, and we're part of the plan. Something's left unsettled. Sometimes they come back. and William Sanderson. Sometimes, they come back. I've been waiting for you, son. Okay, the next to run through 91 is um, Into the Badlands. And this could also be the weekly western. Should I play it? Let's go. Why not? Fill your hand, you son of a bitch! Say when. <laughs> Feel I'm knocking up on heaven's door. 
Okay, this stars Bruce Dern, Dylan McDermott, um, Andrew Robinson, and Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt also was in um, Transfers 2 this year. Andrew Robinson was in Child's Play 3 this year. And uh, Dylan McDermott was in um, Hardware the year before. So that's kind of cool. So anyways, this is a real weird movie. This is an anthology um, Western horror movie. You don't see too many of them. Okay, and uh, Mariel Heming, however you say her name, from Lipstick is in here as well. So uh, basically the three stories are as follows. Uh, Bruce Dern is uh, Barston. He is a bounty hunter, and he kind of ties the stories together. Um, he he kind of opens up, and he's leading in um, uh, basically a bounty he just killed. He runs into Dylan McDermott. Dylan McDermott rides into town. He's a wanted man. He runs into Helen Hunt, falls in love. And this one turns out to be some sort of strange kind of ghost story deal. Um, this one's pretty decent. I like it. Andrew Robinson's in this one, and I like him. He's good in it. Solid. And um, then the next story is it involves wolves and the loneliness of the frontier. Um, you know, kind of going crazy, being isolated in that area, and, and coldness, and no trees, and just you know, they said a lot of people went crazy in the frontier, especially women, because the guys would always go out on the missions. Like they'd go to town and leave the women home, so they constantly get the same boring day in day out. Well, the guy was bored, but he got to leave town once <laughs> once a month or something like that. So it kept him from going uh, less crazy just a little bit, but. You know, very unfair, actually. But, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, that one's that. Um, basically, these two stranded in a cabin, kind of losing, one losing their mind, and these wolves attack. And uh, are they actually there? Kind of deal like that. So, um, and the final story is actually Bruce Dern's story. And it's about him trying to track down this um, this guy who's worth, like, five grand. And he's like, what's his name? Um, Red Boss or something like that. And he's like this half Native American, half Irish kind of scumbag that did lots of awful things. So, anyways, he, he ends up getting his his um, bounty and he brings them to town and these guys, they do not want to, um, you know, accept it. So they, they know him and he has this kind of big, you know, shootout and, and fight with these guys. But uh, all these episodes kind of feel like uh, almost lesser Tales from the Crypts, especially the first and the last one. I could see these kind of being tossed into the Tales from the Crypt universe, to be honest. Um, Bruce Stern's really good in it, really fun. His narration's uh, cheeky and I, I like it. He's got some comments and everything. Um, you know, the set design's pretty decent. I like the kind of the Western, the score. You know, you hear some of it here and there. Theme music, I like that. Not theme music, but the score, I think, was pretty good. Twangy a little bit. Um, I think it works best in the first short, it is, I think. That's the one that kind of like a little bit of love theme to it. But, uh, yeah, that, that one's fine. Um, so, you know, I don't really have much to say about this one either. The It has some good shootouts, like I said. Not not too many, but when they're there, they're there. They're okay. Um, some squibs and stuff like that. No, no real complaints about the movie. Just wish that maybe they would have been a little bit more horror-oriented. Because one's kind of a ghost story, one's kind of a, a going crazy kind of story, isolated story. And then one is also kind of the same kind of deal, going nuts story, being haunted kind of deal. But um, that definitely feels like the carrying death story in Tales from the Crypt uh, for me. But uh, definitely about greed and everything. But um, 
Yeah, and I like I said, Bruce Dern's narration ties a lot of it together. Um, solid movie, worth checking out. Definitely not many people have seen Into the Badlands, I'm sure of it. But, um, you know, it, it's pretty cool, pretty interesting. I'm glad I watched it for 91, and uh, another one on the checklist that um, I'm sure a lot of people have not seen, and I enjoyed. He came from the depths of hell to wreak havoc on all who crossed his path. And he's meaner than an acre of snakes. Y'all never seen a dead man before? You, Marshal? I'm a bounty man. And I just brung home the fox. Did someone come by last night after William left? A man with a cart. Did he? Tell me what he wants. There's nothing out there! Just a screech, screech, screeching at the door. Bruce Dern, Mariel Hemingway, Dylan McDermott, Helen Hunt, Lisa Pelican. Into the Badlands. Deserves got nothing to do with it. When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. You guys ready for Blind Spot? I still haven't had time to make an intro to this. Do we need an intro? Well, I usually make little intro videos like the Hammer Time or Dive into 85, but I've been busy, so... I'll, eventually. The last two episodes will have an intro. We can't have an intro because we'd have to like use the clips from... No, the... I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to use a bunch of clips for movies where there's a blind person or they say... You know, like Reservoir Dogs or oh. somebody said Bloodsport when uh, John Glove Van Damme gets the sand in his eyes. And there like, was a blind person in this one we're reviewing today. Yeah, we could do yeah. that. Or um, most definitely The Beyond, when they go blind when they see The Beyond. But uh, yeah, this uh, week is Quite On, I believe it's said like that. Quite On. Yeah. Quite On. This was my pick. Um, we had to move it forward, so if you're following on Letterboxd and it's like, this isn't the one, relax. I switched the last broadcast in this one because I'm going to cover this one on 22 shots and i didn't want to watch it first for that so um this is a three hour and three minute japanese uh kind of horror anthology made in 1964 um and it's a toho so you know what that means uh it's gonna look gorgeous and you know that's pretty much it there's four stories um two are about 40 minutes a piece one is like an hour and three minutes and then the other one's like 26 minutes yeah so I guess we'll start with the stories are told in the Criterion um, order, the Criterion Blu-ray. I don't know if the other releases, they were in a different order or it was a shorter version because this book, um, the Creature Features books, tell me it was only two and a half hours long. Well, this one has some, some terror some, on tape explains some things. Okay, so that's cool. We'll read those reviews afterwards. <coughs> Mm-hmm. After we get into the thoughts. Um, but, yeah, like I said, this one, um, set design, amazing. Yes. Cinematography, amazing. The in, the, I don't I wouldn't call them in-camera tricks, but the tricks they do in the movie, like when they'll have, like, um, they'll film and then there'll, like, be a light change and it'll happen without any cuts. Like, there's obviously a lot of people on set making changes and everything mm-hmm. like that. Um, the first story is one of a awful husband who leaves his wife. Um, he's, like, a samurai who's lord, kind of, wa- kind of, lost money and income so mm-hmm. him and his wife are suffering she's working very hard he decides to leave that leave her because she's in poverty and, and marries a rich woman and regrets it every day of his life because he's although he has money and comfort he's miserable and constantly thinks about his wife no matter what he's doing right um, i thought this was probably um i'm gonna say this is the second best story of the bunch we'll just talk about this one what do you think about it this one is probably my 
third favorite. Okay, the yeah. hair. It's that story with the hair. Yeah, but... yeah, the one with the hair. Yeah, yeah I, I really I re- liked it. I like this one. It's it's very it's predictable up until mm-hmm. one point, and then it gets really weird. And mm-hmm. you, knowing it's called the hair, you can kind of guess where it's going to go after that. But I thought that the very end of it made made up for it. And the last mm-hmm. shot of how um how it's kind of like the house is dilapidated, and he comes to and realizes it's dilapidated, and something starts to happen to him. Where each shot, each time he pops up in camera, he's he's older and more decrepit. Mm-hmm. That's really great how they did that, and he's falling amongst the house, falling apart. But um, really good story. Um, right. One, one of the better ones for sure. I really like this one. Yeah, it has like a kind of, um, what's that story where the guy sleeps on the mountain and he wakes up like 80 years later? Um, that would be Army of Darkness Director's Cut. Is that what that, that is? is? What that is what that is. I know there's a Japanese story, uh, Urashima Taro, where um, he goes under the sea for like three days and he comes up and it's been like 80 years. Well. And then there was an American version too, and I can never remember the guy's name, but it's like the equivalent. Where then, it's there's like, a, um, uh, the uh, Stephen King story where they go through the uh, the time they they shoot matter through a teleporter, but oh, if, yeah. if you wake up through it, um, you age like horribly, but right. you're still like a man child. That's a, probably one of his best short stories, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, we should mention that there's kind of like a narrator piecing this together, and it's like four stories, and he's kind of telling them. It's like four go four like kind of ancient stories, I think, that are like myth myths kind of pulled pulled together. Yeah, yeah. So so it means like like the title, uh, Qui Gon. It, it means like Qui Gon. Yeah. Uh, means a uh, like like ghost story. Okay, yeah, so that's cool. So, and so like, yeah, all four of these are essentially ghost stories. Well, the second one mm-hmm. is uh, this is a beautiful one. It's called The Woman of the Snow. Yeah, hands down the best one. My second favorite. You're fucking nuts. I'm hands not down nuts. the best one, and also <laughs> hands down one of the best anthology shorts I've ever seen. Yeah, um, and, and the prettiest in, oh, in this set, I think. Yeah. Um, we didn't mention that all these have beautiful matte paintings, mm-hmm. and it's all shot on like this elaborate, amazing set. And this one is about two uh, kind of lumberjacks or woodsmen that uh, are basically transporting this uh, wood. They go in the woods every day, and they get caught in a blizzard. An old guy and a young guy, and uh, they both they kind of get stranded. And they end up dumping their barrel, their uh, bundles, and and climbing into the boathouse um, mm-hmm. because they're stranded there. And the woman of the snow, this kind of like I, I guess I would call her a, more of a demon than a like ghost, a vampire. Yeah, but not even a vampire necessarily. She sucks the life basically out of one, the old man. But but tells the young man that if you never tell anyone about this ever, you'll be safe and I'm going to spare your life because you're so young. Mm-hmm. Um, years later, this guy gets married and they have kids and they ha- he has a beautiful life. But you, you can kind of guess where this one's going and it, it was ripped off later on. Um, I, I know this is an ancient ghost story, so it's not really a ripoff, but uh, it's been retold by um, some, uh, you know, another famous anthology in the late 80s, early 90s. That It's probably the 90s, actually, yeah, which I really enjoy. And I don't want to say that one because it will spoil both of them right but uh yeah it's, it's for the best story in that one and i think it's the best story in this one i think this one's better because it's just such an elaborate set and they do so many cool things mm-hmm. like it, uh, without any like post it's all done and, and, and in camera on the set and everything like that some really cool shit right there's some really cool imagery in this one i think the acting is probably the best in this yeah. one too um oh, the matte re- paintings too with the, the matte paintings are, are, are more elaborate here are, are fantastic um there's really only three principal characters in this one um you know the the husband, the wife, and and maybe you would say the mom or the old man, or the guy. kids, yeah, yeah, kids, but yeah, but no, this one's really good, and I think that this one's just like a very classic story, and it has a good ending too. A great so ending. This Pretty one good. you should probably check out. You should probably check out this one 
beyond checking out any of the other ones in the anthology. I, I like think this, this one the best. standalone. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. The third one is the longest, which is about an hour and three minutes. And this one opens up kind of like with this elaborate war story. Is that That's mm-hmm. probably a true story, too. I wouldn't yeah, be surprised, maybe. but it's this giant elaborate yeah. boat fight, and it has like this singing like uh, narration over it, and it keeps cutting back to these old paintings, which is probably what inspired the story. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, maybe that's a, a rendition of actually what happened. Right. So there's this huge battle of these two kind of uh, clans against mm-hmm. each other uh, at sea. It's a great, great scene. Lots of uh, crazy stuff going on, and fighting on the <laughs> on the ocean like that, jumping from boat to boat is intense. Um, but then it cuts to this, um, this one's called Hirochi the Earless. I, I think you say his name. How do you say his name? Wasn't it Hiroki? Hiro- no, it's like H I O C H I or something like that. Hirochi. It ends with C H I. So, uh, yeah, basically I can't remember. it's like H I O C H I. So basically this guy is blind and, uh, mm-hmm. and right away I was like, the earless, what the, what the hell's going on? So, uh, he, he kind of lives at this church and one night he is summoned by this, uh, kind of shogun or the samurai guy to tell him that you're summoned to play, you know, for my Lord. And he mm-hmm. goes because he, you know, he's blind. He doesn't know where he's going and he plays, he keeps disappearing and everyone's starting to wonder, you know, where he's going. But throughout this one, they kind of explain that the sea's been haunted ever since all those people have died 700 years ago. And for good reason, there's a lot of dead bodies in the ocean. So mm-hmm. essentially it comes to find out that he's playing for a graveyard and he's kind of been like hexed or cursed and he, he has to break away but right. um, <clears throat> I've seen that done before kind of with like the, the writing on the body um, mm-hmm. to keep curses away they use it Mr. Vampire which is a Chinese movie where they put like the symbols on the vampires and write the, the, the curses or the spells so they can't move and uh, so there's a really cool thing why he's called the earless right yeah I mean it, it's it's uh... This one's actually my favorite. Um, number three for me. Number three. Like, I think that this one is probably a good standalone movie. Um, it, it is very long, and so when you're watching the other ones and how short they are, you get to this one and you're like, where is this going? Like, this has been on for... But, I mean, I, I do like this one. I, I like the set designs. I like the, the story of the narration, and it has a good... A good arc for all the characters. Yeah, and it's it's a well made one. It just goes on for for a very long time. Mm-hmm. It's really well shot as well. Like I said, and there's a this whole movie is right. and uh, there, there's some really good like placement, like camera placement. In fact, I I didn't say this about the second one, but the way it's edited and the way that the camera shots are like just when the uh, lady leans in when she first sees them, mm-hmm. and I was paying attention to the way like the shots were in the editing, and I was like, you know what, this is really kind of uh, I could tell it was well thought out like every shot seemed planned right and and just uh it was a well thought out intelligent like way to approach it Mm -hmm. um this one i did enjoy it but like i said it's just a little too long um the the last story is is the worst it it, yeah i mean it's not bad it's just it it ties in with the narrator throughout the story yeah and it kind of explains some things here how they say that some stories are unfinished and Mm -hmm. uh they leave it up to you and it directly almost becomes meta to a certain extent yeah it's it's very meta and like maybe it's supposed to be like a wraparound but without actually wrapping around it's just stuck at the end um, well, you hear narration somewhat throughout. You too. do hear narr- narration throughout. I can only imagine it's this guy. Yeah, yeah, and I, I believe it is. Um, this one's like a story within a story, and the actual, <laughs> like the story that's in the story, is <laughs> about a guy who's kind of a um, goes to drink something when he's not supposed to, and there's right. somebody in, like he sees a reflection of somebody, and he's confused, but he says, screw it, and he drinks it, and he's haunted by it. 
Right. I, th- I think he kind of like just loses like his ghost, mind. Maybe. He kind of loses his mind. Yeah, he loses but, his but mind. But they leave it up to you how it ends. Yeah. So maybe he loses his mind. Maybe he turns into a ghost. Maybe right. he turns into that guy. We right. don't know. We don't know. And the ending kind of plays into that too. You know, it's a double story about what's in the cup or Right, whatever, what's like. in the cup or, you know, or like, you know, some, some stories just aren't finished and, you know, you leave it up. Although... This wraparound the story is, I guess, kind of finished. You just don't know what happened. Yeah, yeah. So it's like the like the story within the story has no ending, and the I feel like the story that is telling the story kind of like has no beginning. It only has an ending. Well, I think the ending can explain how the guy got in the cup. Yeah, in the first place, and the ending can explain what happened possibly to the guy. You, you can choose, but yeah, I I would say this one's okay, and it's almost like unneeded. Yeah. It needed to be longer or not there. Right, I agree. This one was almost like an afterthought. Um, and I... I'm I mean, okay with it. Yeah, it's okay. As a whole, this anthology is okay. But, like, you can definitely watch this one in parts. And I would probably recommend watching it too. in parts. Um, next week is The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. That's your mm-hmm. pick. But I'm going to read from these books. I'm reading from John Stanley's Creature Features, and this is Qui-Gon. He puts it at 65, 1965, but I've seen mm-hmm. 64 as well. Four out of five, Japanese anthology film by Mizuki uh, Kotobashi, plunges into the shadowy valley of the Lafacadio Hearn's ghost stories, once described as permanent archetypes of human experience. Yoko Mizuki's script masters the paradox of being horrified and beautiful with its four-part, two-and-a-half-hour format. The first tale is the surrealistic vignette of defeated samurai warrior who leaves his wife for a wealthy highborn, who turns out to be an unbearable bitch. And the cup of tea deals with a man who peers into his teacup one morning and finds the reflection of a stranger gazing back. Kauchi, oh, it's Kauchi the earless, although I think it's Haruchi, or whatever it is, is the most ghostly of the Arns, depicting a man surrounded by ancient spirits to serve as their storyteller. The Woman of the Snow is about a secret whispered by one friend to another, which must never be repeated. A color film of lush composition, featuring superb dreamlike special effects, excellent cast, headed by Renato Mucuni, um, not doing all these names, aka Ghost Stories and Weird Tales. Um, yeah, and he gave it four out of five, so. All right. Read your book. So I got Tear on Tape by James O'Neill. Um, quite on three and a half, and he does out of four, Four, right? Uh, 1964. Do you want to read the Japanese names? Because I can. Doesn't matter. Okay, we'll skip them. (laughs) All right. So a visually stunning collection of Japanese period horror tales. The title translates as Ghost Stories, adapted from the works of Lafaccio. Hearn, a man leaves his faithful wife for another woman, returns to her years later, and discovers her to be a ghost. A traveler is permitted to survive his encounter with a beautiful vampire if he agrees never to speak of her existence. A minstrel's body is covered in magical symbols to protect him from evil spirits, and a samurai is possessed after drinking from a teacup containing a warrior's ghost. Overlong but the haunting atmosphere, each segment is set during a different season of the year, and a beautiful use of color and set design impact the genuine feeling of the supernatural. Some prints were on 125 minutes with the second story cut. This episode was the obvious inspiration for the third segment in... The movie that I talked about. Yeah. That one was cut. I guess that one was cut, which is weird. The best one. Yeah, I think that one's really good. It's... Probably my best one with you take the third one removed. I really did like the third one with the symbols. Um, I'm an eight out of ten. I could be seven and a half because I'm trying to take an average. Like first one's like an eight, 
Second one mm-hmm. was nine to ten for me. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Third one's like a seven, and mm-hmm. then the fourth one's like a six. Yeah, I mean, if I had to rank them individually, I'd probably go in order four, four, four and a half, two. That's close, you know. Yeah. So I, I'm in it. I'd give it an eight just because I I can't believe for the time it was just damn looking. This yeah. looked good. This good. I so. think this is like. Between like a three and a half and a four, it's it's in there. It's now did it beat Fantastic Planet? I think it did. So I would say that I think I like Fantastic Planet better. Although I think this is probably the better movie. I think this is probably the better movie, but I much enjoyed Fantastic Planet more. Um, so let's call that one a tie. Okay. Because I, I, you know, even though Quaidon's the better movie, objectively, but probably, I, but I th- I feel like that you should probably. Maybe you're better off watching Fantastic Planet. It depends what kind of mood you're in for. Yeah, Quiet one you have to see, I think. And Fantastic. I think they're both highly. Right. You got to see them both. I agree. I don't think you're going to find anything like Fantastic Planet. I don't think you'll find anything like Quiet On. I think Quiet On. I think. All I think these it's stories... probably been ripped off, but I mean, you're not going to find one that looks that lush. No, you know, I mean, it is a very well, a big movie. budget movie on those sets looking yeah. that good. Mm-hmm. And the camera and, and camera stuff where the lights change and stuff like that. Well, the the third story has um, the naval battle. And I think that scene alone was just kind of like, this is pretty cool because it's literally just all these people on rafts with like swords and spears and stuff are like, all right, we're going to fight Yeah, on the water, on these rafts. I'm yeah. like, okay, all right. It's weird that you see that kind of decor in Chinese restaurants when you go, mm-hmm. even though it's not, is it, I mean, they might have both had battles like that, but it seems so much more of a Japanese thing. Well, here's the thing. They probably went to war with Japan in the same way? Well, yes, but China... Like, ancient China is an empire, and so when you look at, like, the, the, the titles of these countries, Japan, Korea, when you look at their Chinese names, and even their native country names, like, Korean is the fort capital, uh-huh. Japan is the east capital, China literally means middle kingdom, like, China was an empire, and it imposes influence onto Korea, onto Japan, Vietnam, all, all these countries surrounding it, it's just like... You have like like Europe, and everybody lives in castles, and and there's feudalism everywhere. I I mean, like they they borrow heavily from each other. You know, they yeah. were descended from each other. They, you know, interacted with each other in courts and and, and in politics. I mean, they're not isolated countries. No country is. Well, an Japan isolated was isolated country. for a long time. Yes, after but, the separation yeah. of China. But next week is the doctor, the cabinet of Doctor Caligari. Um, I've never seen it, but it's Jeremy's pick, right? It's my pick. Yeah, neither of us ever seen it, which is awful. I know. Which is weird because it's like some of my favorite movies take its visual inspiration from it. Stuff, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So So, I'm excited for it. Getting some German expressionism. Yeah, and I don't even know what it's about, so we're going to find out. It might involve a cabinet. It might not. It might involve a doctor. I'm pretty sure I know what's going on. But uh, you guys have a good one. We're out of here. You made a night.
Okay, let's get into these questions. Uh, Ilk Vomit does the title, Why Did I Watch Shriek Show Ichi Because I'm an Idiot Come With a Slipcover? Only on Diabolic DVD if you get it at midnight. So, uh, Nick Mua, since we both like cats, thought I'd ask what would you do if you woke up on the planet of the cats? Um, probably get eaten alive. Um, I'm not going to have enough food for all them cats. Um, I also, I don't really like big cats. They freak me out. I don't hate them. They just, they kind of freak me out. Um, I watched The Color Out of Space recently and fell in love with it, especially Nicolas Cage's performances. Still, I couldn't help but notice that Mr. Cage had a bad rep when it comes to his acting. Why do you think that is? I think that he did a lot of crappy movies just because he enjoys acting and wanted to get paid. And I don't think his performances are always great, to be honest. Some people say that the directors, you know, don't direct him right way. Some people say that he just, you know, takes it over and does whatever he wants. But um, when Nicolas Cage is on, he's on. He can work for a lot of good movies. I don't think that he's not one of those actors like, um, I'm trying to think, like Emmett Walsh, who I just talked about this week. That is always good. Nicolas Cage is hot and cold for me. And I think that maybe he's good in those bad movies. Those movies are so bad they can't help it. Maybe he's not hot and cold. But when he's good, he's good. And I think he's good in color out of the space. So. Who is the best Hannibal Lecter, Brian Cox or Anthony Hopkins? I've never seen Manhunter. I know, right? I know, so I, I can't answer that. Answers. <laughs> I basically asked what your favorite streaming service was and what you thought of Plex. Nick Bua, though I'm not a fan of streaming, I have to, either am I. Let me get that out. I'm a, obviously a hard format collector, but I basically use streaming for stuff that's not released or stuff I want to check out right before I buy, that kind of deal. And Plex I like because I can add all the movies I have on VHS on there that aren't don't have any releases and stuff like that. And HD prints of movies I bought that don't have any you know HD prints available to buy. So, um, Nick Mua, though I'm not a fan of streaming, I have to say netflix has loads of good content whatever strikes your fancy you'll find it on there i can understand why they took over hbo because those guys were sinking their own shit fast plex looks interesting but i have to check out their content in depth so as to make an informed review because if you judge without doing your research you're just talking out of your ass that's what i do all the time hey flipping the page Travis Wright, I think I'd go with Netflix. I had never heard of Plex until you mentioned it a couple weeks ago. Fantastic Planet sounds good. I may have to get an upcoming Criterion sale. I heard the Criterion sale might not be happening. I hope that's not true. Robert Cruz, the best streaming service is a hard pick, uh, hard to pick because all their positives and negatives. I guess all in all, Netflix remains king. But it's not as good as it once was, and the pricing has gone up since those better days. Even then, it's easy to use, plenty of contact content to watch and no ads as for plex i've been on it for a couple years now got the plex lifetime pass and everything i bought a used but fairly recent workstation to use as a server with a bunch of external hard drives attached to it between the amount of content i have and the fact that i've organized it so well i simply don't need anything else for streaming Derek Davis. I mean, Amazon Prime is my favorite. I like the older horror and action flicks 70s through 90s, and I have found a ton to watch on there. I'm not familiar with Plex, but I'll have to look into it. Glenn Yummy Fetty. Um, Plex is my primary go-to due to having a good group of people that I am connected with on there. We have the kind of trash I need to watch. Netflix is the worst by far. Michael Honeycutt. Primarily a physical media dude, but I like the original stuff on Prime. Brandon Young. It may be a lazy answer, but I'm going with Shudder. There's so much cool content on there in all subgenres. I like how it isn't pinholed into one area of horror. For the price, too, it's hard to beat. Tubi is a dark horse, too. Totally free and great content. I use Plex mainly just for streaming to my Roku, but I like how you're able to share it with view, with view outside the home. I'm an early adapter of it and have been using it for years. Uh, adopter, sorry. Eric Waters, a Shutter and Tubi. 
Scott Shermer, I love Plex. Ripped my entire library to hard drives for it. As for subscriptions, I think Disney Plus is the worst right now. Hardly anything good on there, and it's so kiddy. I like Netflix for stand-up comedy and a few shows. Hulu for a few shows. I use Prime the least probably. I rarely go longer than six months with any of the subscriptions. Though, I start and stop them when I run out of things to watch or they get something new and interesting with worth taking a gander at david gibson hands down Tubi has such an amazing selection of cult and underground film i am blown away at how good it is and it's fucking free stanley eisman same here he's talking about Tubi. ron munster same love Tubi. jordan bibby amazon prime has the quantity over quality and i prefer that because i love all types of horror whether it took millions or hundreds to make i'll enjoy them either way uh alberto giovanelli Tubi for me jeremy r crunchyroll five dollars for subbed anime a week after they air Belinda McKay, I like Tubi, even though there are commercials. And then some information I decided to read. Critical Buzz Reviews. Man, I have completely forgotten about the movie May. Underrated flick, in my opinion, and deserved way more attention than it got when it released. When it was released. Angela Bettis is superb in the lead, and it's a fantastic horror-themed character study. Hoping someday we'll see a Blu-ray release of that one, as I would love to add it to my collection in HD in a physical format. Scott Johansson, oh, I have a special feature on The Wolf Soldiers, not on the DVD. Cecil on Good Bad Flicks did an excellent Explore video on it. Also, Sean Pertwee, the best Alfred in all Batmans. Gotham is a star in it, this. Now back to Cecil on his Explore video, and he shares the link to that video. Um, what the flick? I realize you were talking about the 1991 Campfire Tales and not the 1997, but I watched the 1997 Campfire Tales a couple years ago for the first time since the late 90s, not remembering a damn thing about it. I was enjoying it until the end. For those who haven't seen it, I won't spoil it, but it caught me off guard and I started to cry. Haha. <laughs> I've seen Schindler's List a hundred times and have never shed a tear. I never thought Campfire Tales would be the flick that made me cry. Sorry for the long, dumb read. That's funny. Uh, Claire Bear. I love May. She just needed a friend. One that would appreciate her weirdness. No, she's so she's socially awkward and I love her anyways. Uh, uh, Dungeon Studio. I think Jeremy meant Fritz the Cat as opposed to Felix the Cat. Or maybe it's my perverse mind. Hello, and you look at uh, Craftworks' original video for Autobahn. The style is very similar to Fantastic Planet, I find. So Roger Mainwood, I think, was heavily influenced by this weird movie. Okay, and I guess we're going to hop... Oh, i got to ask you the question. I keep doing that. I almost skipped the question of the week again. But um, what... Fi- oh, I want to know, films with a Blu-ray release... Films that have a great Blu-ray release that are from other overseas that aren't in your territory, like movies that, um, like let's say, like oh well, I think that Night Tide has a, a wonderful Blu-ray release, Blu-ray release in the UK, but not here. So I want to know movies that have great Blu-ray releases not in your country or region. So yeah, now we're gonna hop in that update. Okay, this is gonna be a quick update here. So uh, let's start with this one, Mobsters. I haven't seen this in years. I remember liking this, but I was young. I remember Chris Penn having a nice role in here, so yeah. Uh, and I was listening to the Eptus movie podcast, and they said basically Mobsters is like a live action. It's like, not live action, but it's another Dick Tracy, just super violent and ridiculous. So that made me want to rewatch it. Then we have one from Scream Factory here. We have Straight Jacket. Good movie. Good movie. Very entertaining. Uh, William Castle flick. Joan Crawford, of course. Then we have Mac and Me, also from Shout Factory. Yeah, I haven't seen this since I was a kid. I'm sure it's awful. I always say it's awful, but I just had to get it because uh, I'm a moron. And then we have The Frighteners. I didn't have this on Blu-ray. Wanted to rewatch it. Hadn't seen it in years. Um, always liked this one. When it came out, I believe we watched this. Me and my brother watched this probably like half a dozen times. Very fun. Very cool stuff. Peter Jackson. 
classic movie. Yeah, that's a short update. Still waiting on some stuff, but uh, mail's been backed up as expected. But uh, back to the video. All right, guys. Thank you very much for watching. And as always, you guys have a good one. Mm.